And welcome back to episode number two, Studio CPO, bringing you another installment in our series of podcasts. I'm, I'm delighted today to be joined by somebody I admire very much and somebody who has been a friend for a number of years now, and that's Ellen Bittner. Ellen is the CEO of the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority. She's been wearing that title for four or five months now, so probably getting accustomed to it. Let me start by saying this. Today's conversation is not about Medicaid. So if you tuned in thinking we were going to give you the ins and outs of that federal-state partnership, that might come down the road. I'll ask Ellen back to be able to do that. But today, specifically, we wanted to chat a little bit about Ellen's leadership journey. So Ellen, I'm very glad you're here. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You, uh, I'm wondering, right? We, we've known each other for a few years, but... Share with our audience a little bit about yourself, how your trajectory looked like to the chair that you now sit in. And then I've got to ask the question, did you ever really imagine that your career would include being the CEO of perhaps Oklahoma's largest state agency? Um, well, to answer it backwards. Yes. Uh, no, this is not something I ever thought I would end up doing. Um, so I, you know, native Okie, grew up in Tulsa, uh, went to OU for undergrad, um, stuck around for law school. Um, left law school, went to work for a private firm, um, wonderful attorneys, great mission. Um, at the time, just the work that I was doing as a first year associate didn't really strike the meaningfulness chord in me that I really, really wanted to see. So for me, honestly, it was kind of a God thing where I was really searching for something that would allow me some more fulfillment to the extent that it was you know, I was starting to think of it through a mental health lens. And am I happy in this? What do I want out of my life? What do I find meaningful? And um, lo and behold, within a couple of weeks, I was flipping through the bar journal and there was an advertisement for a job at the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. So I applied. I still joke to this day that there's no reason they should have hired me there. Um, but it is one of the um, just most pivotal moments in my career because that really allowed me to join as, as an attorney, did that for a couple of years, and then um, a really wonderful mentor of mine, um, uh, Duran Crosby. Is we we share him as yes, a mentor, right? Yes, yeah. he's, he's got, a, got a lot of responsibility for us, good or bad, in his opinion. Um, but he, he was a wonderful mentor to me. And I remember he came to me early in my career and said, what is it that you really want to do? Hey, mm -hmm. if you want to be the general counsel here, Let's, let's help you work towards that. If there's something else that you want to do, let's start working toward that. And so the more and more we talked about really what I wanted out of my career, um, we struck out on a different path. Um, so I really struck out to learn about the organization as a whole. Um, the leadership management aspect of things um, really, really intrigued me. I liked working with people. I liked learning about people. So HR was really a perfect place for me. Um, after a few years in that role, um, you know, I built together a team that was um, highly functional, um, high performers. And so I was able to um, rely a lot on them to take the day to day. And so I reapproached, um, you know, the leadership team there. And that was actually when you and I became, became close. Um, when I asked about, hey, is there somewhere else in the agency that I need to learn on the policy side, on the communication side, um, even more on the patient level? Because coming in as an attorney, I didn't have any sort of direct care experience. That's not something right. that I've ever had the privilege of doing, right? 
So it was, it was um, important to me to learn a little bit without being a licensed provider um, to learn more about what it is it looks like on the front lines. And so um, in that new role, I was able to learn the policy side, um, getting to tag along with you over at the Capitol and learn how that process works, but then also working with our consumer advocacy and investigations division, which right served to speak for consumers, advocate for the things that they need. And so that really opened my eyes to um, what the people that we serve deal with day to day. Um, you know, from there, I could probably ramble on and on, but long story short, um, I ended up at the Healthcare Authority about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I came in as the chief of staff to um, former secretary Kevin Corbett, um, who just retired last year, and I stepped into his shoes. Um, it was it was really also an interesting journey for me, and it made perfect sense coming from the Department of Mental Health, um, having a piece of, um, of that history, um, a piece of the membership, um, and really just what what interested me about coming into that role was when I met Kevin, the first thing we talked about were our shared values and what we wanted out of the organization. We came from two completely different backgrounds. I had always been healthcare, albeit non-licensed on the administrative side, but I came from the state government healthcare world. He came from private sector accounting. But when we sat down the first time we met, um, I, I walked into lunch just thinking through the things that I want in an organization, the values that I wanted to bring, um, the kind of culture I wanted to create. He sat down and said almost the exact same thing. And after that, I left and I went, yep, I'm in. So here I am. Well, that's been quite the journey. Yes. And what, what people may not have insight on, I mean, there are a few people who certainly do, is at the same time that you were navigating this career process, and by the way, you mentioned you you had the JD, you were an attorney coming into this, you chose to pursue not only a master's in leadership, but you opted to also complete a PhD. I did. Um, I joked that I was tricked into doing the PhD. Uh, that goes back to Durand, I, right? Yes. That, yes, that's that what I thought. That's also yep. a Durand thing. Um, so um, we actually started, this is when I was in the HR division at the department, we started having conversations around professional development. What more can we do for our employees while at the same time helping the overall workforce? How do we better serve the people that we're serving? And so we said, hey, you know, we could, we could spend a lot of money on bringing in speakers and have really fun afternoons. Um, you know, we still did a little bit of that, but um, the discussion that we started having was, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we invested about the same amount of money, maybe a little bit more money, have a partnership where people go through a series of courses and come out the other side with with a degree. So we did um, two different tracks. One was more towards professional licensure. And so we had, um, you know, some folks working towards uh, master's in human relations. Um, eventually got, we got into the social work side, but then we also wanted to do something for the people that were more interested in um, the administrative side of things. So we did a master's in administrative leadership, which you were actually I, I, I am a I am a graduate you had to drag across the finish line, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I got it done. I think that was when our mentor-mentee relationship switched. Yes, I would think, <laughs> I would think that's probably a fair statement. So I, uh, so I went through that master's program and, you know, I mentioned I've always been interested in the, in the organizational side of things. I like management. I like being around people. I like seeing them grow. Um, and at this point I was still fairly early in my career and, and learning who really I am as a leader and a manager. And so I, uh, one of my favorite classes that I took was with a guy named Pro- Professor Ryan Beisel, who was my advisor. And if I remember correctly, he, he, he was, was my thesis chair. Was yours. Yes. 
So he was my thesis chair, um, and I wanted to write about organizational communication and how do you develop a culture where people feel um, empowered, engaged, trusted, you know, all those all those buzzwords that we right. know about, but I really wanted to dig more into the practical side of things. You know, Durand and I always joked about this idea of being pracademics. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the academic side, you have theory, people write beautiful articles, there's, you know, brilliant, brilliant people that have um, these case studies. But then you have to look at how does this translate into real life when you're dealing with real life obstacles, when you're dealing with these real life patients. And so we truly tried to bridge the gap between the academic research and actually putting it into action. Not a novel concept, but um, when you think about it in the organizational realm, um, that's something that's typically delegated to your training and development division, not necessarily something that's from leadership Mm -hmm. that's coming to the agency. So um, anyway, so that was something that really interested me is that whole communication, cultural development piece. Um, I defended my thesis uh, with, with Dr. Beisel and my committee there. Um, we left and he said, hey, we seem to have some aligned interests in terms of organizational ethics um, and communication. You want to, you know, would you be interested in staying on and, and continuing this pursuit? And I said, oh, OK, well, I might need like a day after defending my thesis. Um, but I'll tell you, I mean, the second I walked away from that, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go home and tell my family and, and, and recommit to that. But that journey took five years. Um, it was it was a lot, but I have um, I don't regret it at all. Um, and I know we, we talk and we joke a lot about, you know, what do I, what do I use it on day to day? You know, I didn't go become a professor, haven't written a book yet. It's Um, coming. um, Is this breaking news? Yeah. Breaking news. Okay, great. I'm glad. Um, yeah, I'll be back to, to advertise on the podcast. I'll be your first advertiser. Oh, that'd be awesome. (laughs) Um, so, um, what were we talking about? Well, I know I just threw you off track, right? Yeah. But but I do want the record to state mm-hmm. that neither Durand Crosby nor Dr. Beisel mm-hmm. suggested I pursue my doctor. <laughs> so so the record needs to be entirely clear that you were clearly a, a, cut, a cut above the rest. Uh, I, I can neither confirm nor deny. Yeah. So so what was your what was your dissertation? What was the title? Sure. So, uh, oh man, that's a great question. I don't actually remember what my title is. You can give me the concepts though. <laughs> so, um, so where I ended up in my dissertation was this idea of, okay, it, it's settled research that trust, um, open communication, having strong leadership relationships, all that influences the organizational culture. And so what I really wanted to dig into is um, why don't people speak up? when they need to speak up. Um, and there's a big body of research on, um, you know, why people don't speak up that, that make complete sense, right? People mm-hmm. are apprehensive. They fear retaliation. Um, they don't know what to say. Um, or maybe they don't even necessarily realize that a situation that they're in is an ethical problem or is, or is something that's uh, potentially damaging to the organization. And so the, the thing that I always loved about the research is this idea of speaking up when problems are small and resolvable before they become large and an intractable part of the organization's culture. Um, so, so what my dissertation delved into was, okay, how do we 
identify these factors within organizations. And then on the flip side, this is the pro-academic side, turn that into a way to um, help organizations understand the status of their organization and then how do we remedy the situation, whether it's through training people how to have the conversation. So um, we looked at this idea of um, communication apprehension and communication competence. So those are two really well-established areas of communication and organizational um, academia as reasons why people don't report. And so we really combine those two elements into this idea of communication confidence. So not only feeling comfortable speaking up and feeling that you have that psychological safety, but also knowing how to have a conversation, whether that conversation is with your boss, a peer, someone external to the organization. Um, so we, we established a tool. I say we, I just, I always consider everything a sure. group effort because I had that, that amazing um, advisory committee, but um, established a tool um, where you could measure that. And then the idea being once an organization has that baseline, how do you help remedy any sort of gaps that you might have there? And I would assume that those that the, the process of writing the dissertation likely informs how you do your job today. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, that is something, and this you know goes back to what I mentioned about one of the reasons that I really wanted to work with with Kevin at that organization. Um, you know, and this goes for the Department of Mental Health um, and other places that I've worked is. Um, I've really had the privilege of working with strong leaders that care about the people we serve. Um, that's that's the number one thing that we've talked about at, at Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services at the Healthcare Authority. Um, it ultimately comes back to the people that we're serving. And whether you're in an administrative role, whether you are in direct patient care, everything you do is going to ultimately impact the care that that person's receiving. And so that's that's always been something that's really meaningful to me. And I think a challenge in some organizations, especially when you're in a non-direct care role, is feeling that connection to the mission. Um, and so that's, that's one of the ways that we've tried to connect people is just what's your central focus? What are your shared values? Because even if you have different pathways, different roles within the organization, if everyone aligns on those core values of what you're trying to do, it's going to end up okay. So I'm going to shift gears real quick. Um, as leaders, my guess is you probably have a couple of truisms mm -hmm. that when times get difficult, when you're facing hard decisions that you um, that you find is your home base. Mm -hmm. for, for me, and, and my guess is I probably use this in conversations with you dozens of times over the 15 plus years, one of mine is in, in periods of conflict, you usually find the truth in the middle. When there are two teams or two parties that see things in a very opposite perspective, somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. and, and so I kind of manage to the middle. What, what would be a couple of the truisms that you have that, that you base your leadership on? So so a couple of things. I'll, I'll build on what, what you just said, because I think that's a really important point. Um, and, you know, we like to go back and forth from different points of view. Um, so Adam Grant is one of my favorite, you know, ac academics. And he's he's a pro-academic too, but, you know, real, real well-known guy. And so he, he talks about this idea of um, it, it's not so much about the importance of finding agreement within an organization, but rather alignment. Mm -hmm. In that, what he, what he means by that is this idea of agreement is... An identical opinion about something whereas alignment is about shared values 
And so within organizations, being able to create that sort of space where you can have this team of rivals, whether it's your leadership team, whether it's people in different, you know, hierarchical levels in the organization, that everyone can speak up and respect each other's opinion, but we're all still there for that same goal. So I would say that's one. Um, one for me, and I think this is sometimes a challenging one for women or, or young people um, in an organization too that might not feel comfortable speaking up in a big group of people, especially with people that have been around an organization for, for a long time or experts in their field. But it's this idea that you, know, you, you don't need to be the loudest person in the room. You don't need to talk the most, but you absolutely should speak up when you have something to say. And, and those were kind of some points throughout my career where you realize, oh, I've hit a different level because it's quiet in the room or conversation might be winding down and you kind of pop in and go, hey, have we thought about this? Or could we do it this way? Or how do we address this risk? This risk, And you start seeing people's heads start nodding and you go, oh my gosh, we wouldn't have talked about that had I not brought that up. Right. And so I think you get to points where you get differing levels of, that's the idea of, communication confidence in um, in speaking up. And I think that's so important, whether it's an ethical issue um, that's impacting a patient or something that's just within the organization that might be a positive addition to the culture. So um, the last thing, and I know this sounds so simplistic, but it was one of the things that we talked about throughout um, um, throughout my dissertation work is just this idea of doing the right thing. And it's interesting how um, when you're having these conversations in organizations um, or even with your kids sometimes, I mean, a lot of these life lessons for management, you know, translate back and forth. It's just this idea of doing the right thing. And so it's so interesting how when you start to get away from what the core question is, just coming back to, well, what's the right thing? Not, not necessarily what's going to save us money, not necessarily what, you know, might be the most politically correct route, but just what's the right thing and if you start from there it can kind of reset everybody to to realign behind that common that common goal so so one quick follow-up on, on the discussion we just had there's um we were talking about that uh speaking up and the importance uh, I, th I think the academic term that's applied to that is the idea of constructive dissent mm -hmm. that you should seek out people who are willing to challenge you mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's not a confrontational thing, but it's this idea of improvement that people can bring a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And what I would share with you is it's my opinion that the absence of that perspective leads to an organization that can drift off a mission very quickly, that Absolutely. you've got to have that challenging voice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, and I do think organizations are, are changing and starting to think through that, um, especially as this next generation starts coming through. I mean, they're not shy about speaking up about their about their opinions and thoughts about things, but I, I think that's so important because when you hit that area of um, complacency, um, you you stagnate as an organization. Right. I mean, not, not only is it risky just from a sense of, you know, are we, are we doing the right thing? Are we, you know, being fiscally responsible, are we taking care of the people that need to be taken care of, including your own employees? But you're not going to grow as an organization if everybody comes in and just has the same thoughts. Um, my leadership team challenges me all the time, and they have very different communication styles as well. You know, I've, I have one person on my leadership team who um, is kind of the quiet observer, but when he speaks up, it's meaningful. Um, I have other people that are big idea people, and we talk through things. 
Um, and it's just, it's a really amazing group because we're able to play off of each other, disagree respectfully, um, and then move on and reach, reach that common consensus. So I'm going to move into a final question. Uh, first, let me say again, thank you. You've been terrific. Um, but, th- but this closing question, right? I mean, you've, you've accomplished a, a lot already in your career and you have a lot of career left, but, um, I know just from the friendship you and I have had, sometimes this progression has not always been easy. There have been hard knocks along the way. There have been moments of doubt. In any of those have crept in, right? But but now that you're a seasoned executive in state government, what what's one lesson that you now know that you wish young Ellen had known as you were emerging into your profession? Um, great question. Um, so, so truthfully, what I would tell young Ellen, and this would frustrate her so much, um, is to be patient and to appreciate the moment that you're in. Um, you know, as you can tell from just me moving around to different places within organizations and between organizations, doing the academic work. Um, you know, I, I like to bounce around and learn new things and get to know new people. Um, but I think if you do too much of that, you miss out on kind of really savoring that moment of where you are in life. Um, I'm, I, I feel prepared now to be where I am. I think if I had moved any faster, um, you know, I wouldn't have the experience. I wouldn't have the perspective that I do now. And so I think as frustrating as it would be for young Ellen, I would say sit tight, learn as much as you can. Um, the, the thing I am grateful for um, throughout my career, honestly, and I would say this is a keep doing to young Ellen is find people that you trust, um, that, that will mentor you, that will challenge you, that will support you and lift you up. Um, that's, I know that's one of the biggest reasons that, that I've been successful in my career and have this trajectory. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I think that's great counsel. Well, Ellen, again, thank you. It's been delightful to visit with you in this context. Uh, appreciate your leadership at the Healthcare Authority. Um, and appreciate the fact that you work so diligently on behalf of all the citizens who rely upon government services in Oklahoma. So we'll bring you back and we'll talk about Medicaid at some point. Sounds great. Happy but, to. but, you know, since since you've done the PhD, you've, you've got to talk like a, a doctor at some time. Okay. So today was that opportunity. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. So this is Stephen Buck again. Thank you for, uh, for paying attention to this uh, Studio CPO. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next edition. Have a great day.